Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right, you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 9. We're continuing on in the Transfiguration. This is part two. The, the, the title of this message is Don't Put God in a Booth. Um, but we are going to read this morning, starting in, in, in chapter 9, verse 18, and read all the way through to the end of uh, verse, 26, or verse 36. Because I want us to understand this passage in the context that it's written in. And so often when we, we come to a Bible, we, we have the nice headings and the nice chapter um, divisions and things like that. And, and really, those, the, the chapters and the verses were added in like the 1500s. So this, it, we actually had more time without chapters and verses than we've had with chapters and verses in our Bible. And it wasn't really meant to be read with big division you know, titles, that kind of thing. So I want us to understand this as a, as a whole. And it's so important for us to, when we come to Scripture, to approach it not just as little sound bites for the day, but saying, God, what is it that you're saying as a whole through this passage? And so let's look at verse um, 18 and read through verse 36. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say, Elijah, and others, that one of the prophets of old has, ri- has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Verse, verse 28. Now about eight days after these things, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, 
And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you this morning for your word. Thank you that you promise your word is is living and active. God, thank you that we don't approach this as if it is some textbook, soon to be outdated. But God, it is your living, enduring word. And Lord, we ask today that through your Holy Spirit, you would give us understanding. God, that you would give us the gift of faith. Lord, that we would respond to your word. We wouldn't just hear your word, but we would respond. And I pray that you would soften our hearts to receive your word. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in the transfiguration, starting in, in verse 28, we see Jesus praying. And if you remember from last week, we talked about the importance of modeling a life of prayer. Especially for fathers, being Father's Day last week, leading the families in prayer. It is so important for, for fathers, especially, to lead their families in prayer. It's important for everyone. But as the head of the home, it is so vital for fathers to lead their families. We also see Jesus being transfigured before the disciples. And this word for transfer, it wasn't like his clothes just kind of were, were like cleaned all of a sudden. He was like a kind of a fresher Jesus. This was a dazzling light. This is the word they used to describe the, a flash of lightning. This bright, intense light. This glory. And Jesus and Moses and Elijah, they're talking on the mountain. And what are they talking about? Luke shows us that they're talking about his exodus. They're talking about this, his exodus, his his. His death and resurrection. That Jesus would be the deliverer of his people. That Jesus would be the one who would deliver his people from the bondage of sin. Just like Moses was the deliverer of the people of Israel from the bondage of of Egypt. Jesus was the one who would deliver his people from sin. The final deliverer. Now, in verse 33, where we left off... We catch up and hear Peter and the disciples are fully awake. They're with Jesus. And Peter, at this point, opens his big mouth. And Peter, like Peter always does, says something that's like, really, Peter? He says, Master, it is good that we are here. It's almost like the guys are getting ready to leave and things are kind of wrapping up. And he's like... Whoa, 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 this thing's not over yet, okay? Wait, hold on a second, man. It, it, it's good that we're here, guys, okay? It, it's good that we're here. And I was thinking about this week. What if you were there? What if we were there? What would you say? I mean, how would we, how, what would we do to kind of like put pause on the, the button of, of this glory revelation and things like that? So he says, Master, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tents. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Another translation, three booths. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. It's like, why don't we just kind of like 
hang out up here for a little bit, guys. I mean, party's not over yet. I'm just, I feel like we're just starting here. Let's make some tents. You guys can hang out in the tents. We'll kind of come visit the tents. It'll be kind of a good thing. And then Luke, at the end of this, verse 33 says, not knowing what he said. This is a nice way for Luke to say, boy, that was a really bad idea. That was just, that was dumb, okay? That was just wasn't, not quite what we needed at that moment, Peter, but thank you. So why was this a bad idea? Why was Peter's proposition of, of some tents and making some booths, kind of hanging out on the mountain, why was that like, uh, Peter, you don't know what you're saying right now. Just kind of stop while you're ahead. Just let's call it quits. Well, for one, he's putting Jesus and Moses and Elijah kind of on the same plane. All right, hey, well, let's make three booths. We'll kind of, you guys are all kind of the same over here. It's really cool. And it's not the case at all. Jesus and Moses and Elijah are not equals. Jesus is the chosen redeemer. He is the savior. He is God himself who's come to earth to redeem humanity. He stands alone. He's got no one else like him. He's not like a better Moses or a more powerful Elijah. He is completely different on a completely different plane. They're not equals. But number two, why was this a bad idea? Jesus did not come to live in a tent, but to do what? He came to die on a cross. Isn't that what Jesus was just saying in the preceding verses? He wasn't saying, guys, look, hey, I'm here, and things are going to go well, and we're going to go up to a mountain, I'm gonna, we're going to kind of camp out up there for a little bit, kind of, you know, just kind of rough it out for a while. He didn't come to live, on a, live in a booth or a tent. He came to die on a cross. He had a purpose. He had a mission. And number three, Jesus did not come to localize or institutionalize Christianity. I think this is so important for us because what, what, what could happen in this moment is say, okay, look, let's build some booths. Let's build some tents. Jesus, Moses, and Elijah up on this mountain. It'll be a holy mountain and it'll be some holy tents and we'll build a little walkway up the mountain with some statues and we can put a bookstore at kind of the end of it and we'll just kind of like sell passes to get up the mountain and then if anyone wants to know Jesus all you got to do is go to this mountain and go up and meet Jesus but that's not what Jesus came to do Jesus came to seek people out Jesus wasn't the one to say hey guys look if you want to get a hold of me I'm up on top of the mountain in a booth just go, just walk up the mountain and I'll, we can hang out for a bit. Jesus was the one who was pursuing and going after sinners and people with leprosy and the outcast and the tax collectors and the poor and the cripple and the blind. He is purposely pursuing people. And he never once says, look, if you want to meet with me, I'm going to be over here. You've got to come and find me. He's always the one who is pursuing people. And that's what we see him doing from the very first thing we see him doing in the Gospels. He is pursuing people. He's not trying to localize it, not trying to institutionalize it. Heaven knows if, if that was the case, we would try to, sell, we would try to market this thing and, 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 and turn this thing into an institution and build a huge church at the top of this mountain and all kinds of stuff. Fortunately, we don't, we're not quite sure what mountain this is on. But in the same way, 
Jesus tells us to go and proclaim the good news. Jesus tells us to go and proclaim the same message, just like Jesus has done. Jesus never says, guys, look, here's what you should do. Why don't you guys go build a church somewhere and kind of just stay amongst yourselves. And if anyone wants to come in, maybe you can let them in and maybe you can tell them about Jesus. He's always telling us to go and tell. The gospel message that Jesus proclaimed is not a, is not a come see message. It is a go and tell message. It's not a lock yourselves up in a church somewhere on the top of a mountain. And if someone really wants to know Jesus, they'll come and find you. In the same way, he is calling you and I to pursue people with the message of the gospel. The very thing that he was doing, the very thing that he rejected, he is calling us to reject as well. It's not us in our own little Christian ghettos so we can stay amongst ourselves so we'll be safe and stay from from all the, the bad stuff out there in the world. He's telling us to engage, to go forth, to proclaim this message. The church, as Jesus has, has created it to be, is not a building. As a matter of fact, the Puritans, a few hundred years ago, they rejected the name for church as being like a building, and they just called it the meeting house because it, gave, it, it helped people to understand the people of God, that is the church. The, the church is not a, a building itself. Now, in America, it's hard to, to try to describe that to someone. Okay, it's a meeting house. The people are the church. That's really the point they're trying to get across. The people of God. That's the church. So we see Peter's, Peter's saying those things. But now, in verse 34, 35, and 36, what do we see? We see God's directive. So what does God have to say? So the, the cloud comes down. A voice comes from, without, from within the cloud. And this is what the Father says. This is my Son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. I want us to just turn real quick over to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 18. Here Moses is talking to the people, the Israelites. And this is what he says to the people. Verse 15. For the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him that you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So here we have God communicating to the people, Listen to him. What are we to listen to Jesus about? I mean, what is it, if God is saying, listen to Jesus, 
This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. What are we to listen to Jesus about? Well, in the context of these verses, he's talking about, in the preceding verses, eternal life. He's talking about eternal life. That Jesus is the Savior. That Jesus alone can forgive sins. That Jesus alone can give eternal life. Think about the paralytic that they let down through the roof. The paralytic comes down right in front of Jesus in in the house full of people, full of religious leaders. And you would expect Jesus to say, okay, I see your problem. It's obviously you're on a mat. You're obviously paralyzed. The problem is that you need to be healed. Okay, you're healed. He does do that. But what does he do first? He says, your sins are forgiven. He addresses the guy's most pressing need is not to have healing in his body, but for the salvation of his soul. Jesus does that. The sinful woman, they're at the party with all the Pharisees again. And the sinful woman comes up to Jesus. And he forgives her sins. He forgives her sins in front of everybody. Shortly after that, Jesus, we just read this morning, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus alone offers eternal life. But it's not just that, but it's also relationship to God and not performance that brings life. It's not performance that brings life. Luke chapter 8, verses 19 to 21, you don't have to turn there, it says, Jesus is speaking to the people, it says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. It's a response of faith. He's talking about a response of faith that we would hear the word of God and inside of our hearts we'd say, yes, Lord, that's right. And that obedience is birthed from faith. That we would hear the word of God and begin to walk this out in faith. Luke chapter 7 verse 50, again with the sinful woman. What does Jesus say to her? He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So it is a relationship to Jesus, a relationship of faith responding to Jesus that brings life. And not performance that brings life. Jesus never says, look, if you go to church enough, you'll have eternal life. If you just give enough money, you'll have eternal life. If you just serve the poor enough, if you just, if you just work in the sound booth week after week, you'll have eternal life. He never says that, ever. It's because it's a response of faith, a relationship to Jesus Christ that brings life and not performance. So Jesus not only talks about what do we listen to him about, we listen to him about eternal life, but also cross-bearing. Cross-bearing, what he's, what he's talking about in verses 23 to 27. He says, if you want to save your life, you'll need to lose it. And I think about following Christ is difficult. It is hard. If anyone's told you that following Christ would mean an easy, carefree life, that you'll get... It's like Disney World 24-7. It's this, the ease of life. They're selling you a bill of goods that will never deliver. Our home is not this place. It's not this earth. Our home is with, with Jesus in, in heaven. Following after Christ means losing our lives. When I think about the cost of following Christ, it's not easy. I want to ask you this morning, what has Jesus told you to do? 
What has he told you to do? What has he spoken to you about? Think about this. God is, is saying this to, his, to the disciples, but he's also speaking to us. This is my son. Listen to him. What is it that God has put on your heart to do that you have been walking in disobedience with? And it's different for everybody. Some of you, on a Sunday morning, feel like God has put a scripture on your heart to come up and share in front of people. And because of that, it's, 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 it's nerve-wracking to come up in front of a bunch of people and say something. And God's put, you've got scriptures on your heart, but you're not bringing it because it's too hard to do. You are not listening to the voice of the Lord. You have rejected it. Some of you need to offer an apology to someone. That's going to be hard to do. It means humbling yourself, making things right. You need to listen to the voice of the Lord and not reject his word in your life. Some of you need to make an invitation to someone. Someone needs, you, some of you need to have a conversation with somebody that you need to have. Some of you need to give a testimony. Some of you need to share the gospel with someone at work or one of your neighbors that you feel God has put in your heart to do over and over and over again. And it's, it's like you've heard the voice of the Lord and you've rejected it and you've walked in disobedience. And we'll say, we'll get to do it later. We'll do it later. I'll, I'll get to that. But the problem is we never do. I was preparing for this message this week and I, just re, I was reminded Michelle and I both, about a year ago, had a real sense of feeling like we need to get involved with fostering. And I said, we're kind of busy now. We'll, 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 do that. we'll do that in the winter. Well, winter's come and gone. We'll do it in the spring. That's come and gone. We're summer now. And I just felt the conviction of the Lord. God put that in our hearts. And for me to reject that is to hear the voice of the Lord and to reject God and walk in disobedience to what he's called us to do. So I got on the website, went to Safe Families, filled out the application, started the application process for us to, to be able to take a Safe Families child. And so it's, I know it's, Michelle said it's, it's, it's a bit of a process, but I thought this is what God has called me to do. I feel God has called us to do. But it's different for, for everybody. It is different for all of us. What is God calling you to do? Hear the voice of the Lord and walk in obedience to it. Now what I love about this passage is that we're given a commentary on this passage by Peter 30 years after the fact. So as we we kind of close this out, we see the voice of the Lord speaking and saying, this is my son, listen to him. Disciples coming down the mountain, not saying a word to anyone. We're not quite sure why the disciples didn't tell anyone the, the experience they had had. Maybe because it would be just too, maybe ridiculous. Hey, we were just up there with Moses and Elijah, and we're kind of hanging out with them, and Jesus' face and stuff, and it was like lightning. It was just, you know, be like, okay, that's, that's a little bit strange. But they didn't tell anyone about this. But Peter, in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, gives us a commentary as he's thought... He's thought upon this for 30 years now. And so after kind of 
thinking through this for 30 years, Peter writes a few things that I want us to look at to see what is it that Peter has to say about this encounter with Jesus 30 years after the fact. Do you want to turn with me over to 2 Peter? It was Hebrew, James, then Peter. Two Peter chapter one, verses sixteen through nineteen. So here Peter is recounting this this instance that he was with Christ and he saw what he saw, heard what he heard. Verse sixteen out of two Peter chapter one. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. We have, had, we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture has come from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter, after this encounter, thinking through this for years and decades, says this, We have something, you and I, we have something more certain. I mean, what could be more certain than experience this, seeing Jesus Christ glorified before our very eyes, hearing an audible voice from heaven speaking? What could be, what could be more certain than that experience? It's the Word of God. We have something more certain than any experience can hold we have the enduring word of God. And I remember in youth ministry, we'd go to these Acquire the Fire weekends with, this, with bands and worship and just phenomenal messages. And there'd be thousands of, of high school students. And between one of the breaks, I remember one of the, the students came up to me and said, man, if we could only do this every week, man, then, then things would, be, would go well for me. I'd be able to stay strong. I think it probably would. It would be a good thing. But... We have something more certain than any experience can ever hold. That is God's enduring word. See, experiences come and go. Experiences are, are great and they encourage us and we can have moments of just, just abandonment to God as we sing songs, we raise our hands, we call out to Jesus. And these powerful moments. But it's just an experience that although good at the moment and as the Holy Spirit works through those experiences, it fades. Because looking back, if I were to go to that student today and say, hey, do you remember that experience, what God had done in your life? I'd say, yeah, I think. But what we have is something enduring. That generation after generation, God's word is enduring. He says, this does not change. This does not fade. This does not go away. This is not just some kind of experience. This is God's enduring word. 
we have something more certain than that experience. It's God's word. He also says this. He says his word is like a lamp shining in a dark place. It reveals the way. It reveals to us Jesus Christ. It reveals to us the way of life and how we relate to God and what God is like. This is God's enduring word. And if this was Father's Day, I would say something to the fathers this morning about leading your family, not only in prayer, but in God's word. But it's not, so I'm not going to say that. Psalm 119, verse 20. The psalmist writes this, My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. It's kind of an odd thing to write when you think about God's word that this, the psalmist, the person who wrote Psalm 119 says, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules. Who is consumed with rules? Nobody. It's crazy talk. But, but, it's because God's word do we see and understand how we relate to God. That God's grace would be given to us through his word. That we would see how we can relate to a holy and righteous and perfect God. That somehow we would see Jesus in his word. That he would be consumed because he would know that this this word would lead him to God. I was reading a commentary this week and this is what what Willem uh, Van Gameren writes. The word of God has the power to reveal, sustain, assure of God's presence and illumine. The word of God is the psalmist's comfort because why is he consumed? Why is he thinking about God's word? Why is God's word so important, so enduring? Because of the close connection between the Lord and his word. It's because of the close connection between Almighty God and his word cannot be separated. God's word. And if you, as we were talking earlier today, you think, God's really never spoken to me about really anything. I want to encourage you. God is speaking through his word to you this morning. God's word is speaking to you. It's not an audible voice. God's word is speaking. It is his enduring word that speaks day after day, after decade, after century, after millennia. God's word continues to speak to his people today. That is our hope. This is God's enduring word. I want to encourage us with three things as we, as we close. Jesus Christ didn't come to live in a booth, but to die on a cross, to pursue sinners right where they were at. And Jesus is calling us as people to go and bring the good news as well, to be the people who would begin to pursue others with the good news of Jesus Christ. Number two, what has Jesus told you to do? Where is it in your life that you need to submit and surrender your life to the word of God? Begin to walk in obedience to him. It's different for everybody. I know in your heart right now there's different things. There's something that's that's quickening. It's like, you know what? This this has got to happen. I want to encourage you. Don't reject God's word. And if you're not sure if that's God's word, ask somebody. We'll pray with you together. What has Jesus told you to do? What, what area of your life 
do you need to repent and walk in obedience? God's grace is available. And then number three, what place does God's word have in your life? This enduring word, greater than any kind of experience, this word, God's word, is a lamp shining in a dark place. It reveals Jesus to us. I don't want to minimize the importance of God's word to put experiences over God's word. God's word is his prophetic word to us. It is a lamp shining in a dark place and is more certain than anything we can ever experience in this life. Let's pray. Lord, we ask as we close this morning that you would help us to honor you by walking in obedience to the things that you are speaking to us. God, I pray that we would resolve in our hearts to do the very things that you've called us to do. And God, let us, let us treasure and honor you, Jesus, and trust you, O oh God, with our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.